welcome back to the digressor. I'm here with well, first off, I'm here with Emery. You all know Emery. Have... There's Emery. We all know and love Emery. <laughs> but now we also have a third person here, a mutual friend, uh, Michaela. A A A A. Say, say something. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah. What's up, with Michaela? <laughs> and uh, Michaela is actually the reason we're doing this episode. I'm special. <laughs> yeah, very special. Tell us why we're here. Well, that's a big question. Well, I think, Trevor, you asked me to come on the podcast uh, because you knew I was going into music therapy and you wanted to know a bit more about what that was and kind of maybe what my future career looks like. Yeah, uh, when we were hanging out last week, I heard how passionate you were and I love hearing people talk about things they're passionate about and I'm like wait I have an idea and I, I didn't think you would be for it I you probably probably noticed I was nervous when I was asking you to be on here and you were you're like yes I would love to like <laughs> <laughs> yes yes I would absolutely love to because I love like first of all I love talking with y'all second I love advocating about music therapy and just like spreading the word because I just think it's like the most awesome thing ever so. yeah it sounds awesome mm -hmm. especially like the way you were talking about it yeah so um where would you like me to start um kind of maybe what do you want me to explain first or what are you wondering first yes so basically just a basic overview maybe to start with <laughs> overview yeah, yeah for sure yeah, usually I'm the one asking the questions as a therapist, so I'm like, what do I do now? I answer them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so music therapy is essentially the use of music to accomplish both musical and non-musical goals in order to promote a person's um, general well-being and sort of meet any health needs they may have. So this could be mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, um, pretty much any, like, domain of human functioning that we think of. Um, music therapy can look like a lot of different things depending on who you work with. So for example, I might use music therapy in an assisted living home with uh, folks who have dementia to help them reminisce on their life and maybe later in hospice care to provide some comfort to them and their family. Um, I might use it to help somebody to walk again Let's say they have um, they had a stroke and now they have difficulty walking um, by using like rhythm. I can help them to retrain their gait. Um, we can work with people with disabilities um, on things such as emotional regulation, um, academic constructs like counting, colors. I've worked with children um, with various disabilities on some of those pre-academic constructs. And um, we can also work in psychiatric settings such as hospitals, private practice, um, community health centers or prisons in order to um, help uh, the psychological and emotional needs of those clients. So it's a pretty broad field. Um, but to sum it up in one sentence, uh, it's we use music in order to meet someone's needs and goals. Music is a very powerful. Yes, it really, really is. Um, it's one of those things where it's like we definitely have research to prove it, but it's still one of those very innate human things where it's like we know it's important. Do we 100% know why it changes? Um, 
our emotional state or why it does these things. Not completely sure, but it does work. Um, I think probably one of the coolest things that I've seen in music therapy is that music is actually stored in every part of our brains. So it's the last thing we forget. So when I've worked with people with Alzheimer's and various other forms of dementia, they can still recall the words to their favorite song if I start singing it with them when they might not be able to remember their own name. Um, we like we use different part of our brains to sing as we do to talk. So people that might have difficulty talking, such as after a stroke or for um, various other reasons, like speech delays, might be able to sing. Um, and just because of the way it affects our brain chemistry. And then clearly there is the emotional effect it has on us. Like music uh, reminds us of certain events in our lives. It has the, it has the, um, opportunity to kind of meet you where you are like I know if I'm sad I like to listen to sad music and just kind of <laughs> sit in that for a moment which it, which can be healthy and it could also bring you to a different emotion like um listening to a song that's maybe more upbeat to pump you up before a big exam that's something that like I've done a lot through college so music is very powerful in very many ways for sure expecting Amory to jump. <laughs> is it your good at music too, Amory? Why do I have to jump in? It's your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like what what Michaela is mentioning about like the like the dementia, the Alzheimer's, like when people are like struggling with those kind of like things where they like their memory is just not there, um, they still remember the music. And that's just, it just kind of shows how powerful that is. And like, you know, I, like there's sometimes like, even for myself, I'll like be like, yeah, I know this song. I don't know why I know this song, but I know it. And like, uh, you know, and it'll just evoke different emotions. And so that that's related to like the time when I learned the song sometimes. And like, I have no connection as to why, because I don't really remember those times, but I still remember the music and how I felt. So it's kind of interesting to think about. Yeah, for sure. Music is such a powerful medium and that it just it incorporates all of those thoughts, feelings and everything into one. Um, um, I will say a lot of music therapists are really passionate about like saying that obviously we don't own music. Music is there for anybody to use. But in order to be a music therapist, there are specific things you have to do. Because as in any healthcare or therapeutic profession, we always have to remember the potential for harm, right? If, um, I don't know if you've ever had this personal experience, but like, let's say you are like not in a great mood and you listen to a song that might trigger something unpleasant, right? Like since music is so powerful, it can really help, but it can also really hurt. So that's kind of why it's necessary to have a professional there and not to say that, oh, every time you listen to music, you need a therapist there with you. But um, the point is that when we're using music in order to accomplish uh, specific goals or meet certain needs, that we want a professional there who um, is able to help the client process through their feelings in that way because it can be really hard to listen to certain songs. I remember one client in particular yeah. who um, I remember playing a song for, and this client um, immediately got very emotional and started crying because it reminded her of her fiancé who had died, and she wasn't able to be with him 
at his funeral. And um, that just really like affirmed for me, like, wow, this is why it's so important that we have someone and a professional that kind of knows what is, um, how music affects us and how we can help clients process through that or else it could potentially cause harm. I actually have a song that I, I haven't heard it like 15 plus years i i can't every time the song starts i have to turn it off yeah. uh, wonderful by everclear because what i was going through when the song came out and like when i was listening to it what was going on and it's like i i cannot listen to that song yeah definitely definitely i think it i think when a lot of people hear of my profession their first reaction is like oh my goodness, like music, that's amazing. I love music. I see how it helps. And that's great and like absolutely true. But there's also times when it can't hurt us, which is why we need like a professional there. And um, also there's a lot of stuff that can come up when we're making music actively. A lot of what we do in music therapy can be based around improvisation which is just kind of making up music on the spot and the certain things you play though it might seem a little strange they do like mean something you know like if I play really hard on a drum then maybe I'm feeling anxious or angry because of the way that I'm playing if I'm playing a steady beat then I'm probably feeling grounded and um, music really communicates that stuff um, not only to the therapist but to the client to other people in the group if, if, if it's a client group and so on and so forth. And kind of going back to what Emily was saying. You can't really saying. play music without. Go ahead. Um, yeah, you can't really play music without having like emotion in it. Mm-hmm. Like it just like you know you can always tell when someone's just like playing it just to play it as opposed to like playing it with emotion. Like it sounds so different. Right. Like the same piece yeah. will sound so different. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so true. It's so tied to our emotions and um, kind of what we hold inside. Like, it's really interesting and awesome, but also can be a little hard how music can move us. Like, pretty sure, like, I know I've had the experience where I've listened to a piece of music that I've never heard before and after, like, felt tearful. Not necessarily, like, a um, sad way, just, like, it moved me. And that's kind of what baseline music can do. Uh, yeah, well, I was about to say um, a minute ago, kind of going back to what Jimmer was saying about uh, like music having a feeling and it uh, takes you back to a thing. Uh, I don't know if Emory or me have ever told you that I wrote a novel at one point. I actually wrote, I have a playlist. I have two separate playlists that go along with it. The first one is where I list every song that's listed in the story because music's a big part of it. But then, uh, then uh, the second playlist is the feel of the story. Like you can tell, I tell the whole story through the songs I pick. Yeah. And, and like, basically like, not necessarily like when the lyrics of the words, but then the feeling of the music itself. Right. Right. It's everything with, it's really everything that the music does. A um, common like experience that I lead with clients is song discussion. And I usually am encouraging clients to discuss not only the lyrics, but the music itself and like how that works together, maybe what instruments are played. Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it high? Is it low? And how does that affect like your perception of it and kind of how it affects you emotionally? Um, But that's really awesome that you put a playlist together in order to mimic your writing. That's really cool. It's like, I actually don't even pay attention to lyrics at the time. I'm, I made mm-hmm. book, usually the music. 
and uh, like I listened, I listened to all kinds of music. But sometimes I'll be playing music, and like a J-pop song will come on, and someone will be like, "You can't even understand what they're saying," and I'm like, "So." <laughs> Right, right. There's still like a feeling behind it. Um, I think one of the, I think really one of the really cool things about music is that um, I I will like disagree with the saying that it's a universal language because I don't believe it's universal language because we all experience it differently. And clearly, like if I listen to J-pop, I don't speak Japanese. I don't know what is going on. I'm gonna have to call up Emery to help me understand it. <laughs> but I'm still experiencing it. Music is what I like to call universal phenomenon. It's something that every culture, every country, every um, group has done in some way. And it sounds vastly different between cultures, vastly, vastly different, but it's all music. And I think that's what's just so interesting about it. Like this, this art form that we shouldn't really have any like biological tie to, you know, like, it's not like it makes us like live. It's not like one of the basics for human life, but it is part of human life in every facet of its being. Like, like the first thing kids do usually when they're kids is, is sing like before they speak. And I think it's just, it's really cool in that way. Yeah. Like I watch American Idol and I see so many contestants that are be like, uh, I, I've been thinking since I was two, and I'm like, yeah, right. And then I'll show a clip of them as like two going, ah, nah, 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 nah. oh, they are singing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really cool how um, usually like vocalizing or singing, um, humming a melody comes before speech, which is something really interesting when we look at people that might have speech delays or they want to work on speech goals. Um, the fact that, you know, singing is like pre-verbal. It is, I just think it's really cool. <laughs> Nora, my niece. <laughs> I, just, I love her so much. Like her favorite thing is like singing too. And she's like, like one of my favorite recordings of her is when she's like trying to sing "Let It Go." <laughs> and you just hear like "Let Go, Let Go," <laughs> and like, really like you know. And then like the best part is like her mom tries to sing with her. She's like, "No, mine." <laughs> <laughs> that is so cute. Yes. Your niece is so adorable. I Thank love you. it so much. Precious. <laughs> um, I used to watch a little girl back in Texas named Audrey. She was four at the time. She wasn't very good at speaking, but she would sing sometimes. But my favorite memory of that is um, it was around the time Call Me Baby came out. She mm -hmm. loved that song. She would sing it, but she didn't know the words, so she would say, Call Me Baby. <laughs> what i've really loved lately is watching kids try to sing the tiktok songs <laughs> it's really funny. they're like savage love ba -da -ba -da -ba -da. Like, they don't know though it's just really funny <laughs> it's endearing and it's adorable it's very adorable um Okay, so if you want, I can talk about kind of the different methods of music therapy since we've been talking about kind of like how music is used. And what, what, you can basically lead, the, lead this. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I, whose lead do I follow? Okay. It's like, yeah. I was going to come up with questions to ask you, but it's like, I don't even know where to begin. I'll just let you talk. No worries. <laughs> I'm, as you probably noticed, I'm quite talkative. I can talk about, I can talk to a tree. I can talk to a wall. I can talk about anything <laughs> for quite a long time. Part of it, though, is like, this is something you're super passionate about. So of mm -hmm. course, you're gonna have a lot to say about it. And, you know, it really shows too. like, 
in yeah that's why i wanted to add that's why i asked you to to do this because i could tell like it's something you're passionate about people talking about it and i did ask about i asked but like some of my coworkers, some of my friends about like they'd ever heard of music therapy and Mm -hmm. nobody had heard of it so it's like just a way to get it out there so people know about it yeah for sure it's kind of like an up-and-coming thing i feel though um i mean music has been used in healing like throughout history right we know that um through multiple different like healing rituals um all over the world um it probably like the history of music therapy around um the end of world war ii was when it started to almost be considered a profession because um some people musicians began performing to veterans um or soldiers that had returned from the war and were having shell shock known at the time which is ptsd um and they noticed how like it affected them and like thought like hey you know what maybe this could this could be a thing <laughs> and um this. <laughs> yeah you know what let's let's go into this a little bit more <laughs> so uh there are essentially two groups of like music therapy organizations that sprouted up it the first um I can't remember specifically all the dates off the top of my head, but I know like the 60s and the 70s are kind of when university programs started to sprout up. And by the 90s, um, we had consolidated into one association um, for music therapy, which is the AMTA, the American Music Therapy Association. Um, And kind of what it means in the process to be a music therapist has changed a little over time. But um, what it is right now is we complete four years of school. And in that schooling, we have um, basic music classes like music theory, oral skills, which is like ear training, music history, um, those like musical foundations, like I had to learn to play guitar, freshen up on my piano skills we also have to choose a primary instrument so my primary instrument was voice so I learned to sing classically and um, then we also have music therapy specific classes like um, treatment processes learning how to write a treatment plan and um, documentation and all of those things we learn about the history of music therapy research in music therapy Um, various theories of music therapy. We have courses in anatomy and psychology. I took about four psychology classes in various in child development, abnormal psychology, developmental, to kind of understand those different stages of life. And finally, which was my favorite part, we have practicum, which is um, our clinical work. So we have to have 1200 hours in order to be certified as a music therapist and those begin in school and we get about 200 in school. Um, So my university program had five semesters of practicum. I think most have around three to four, but um, it really depends on the school. You're only required to have three, but we were a little extra at my school, but that's okay because I loved it. (laughs) Um, And that was really like the first time you get like hands on hand, like hand on hand experience with clients. Like, um, I got to work in um, a nursing home, in um, a special education classroom, in a substance abuse recovery center, in hospice, and um, in another classroom with a group of children with various disabilities. And um, so after you complete those four years of school, you have to go to a music therapy internship, which is six months long, or nine months, whatever gets you to those 1200 hours. Um, So that's kind of the stage I'm getting to. I'll be beginning my internship in October. And um, essentially, like the internship is kind of guiding you towards being a music therapist, like you spend maybe a month or two observing, and then you start leading sessions, and then you start doing it all on your own. And once you're done, 
with your internship, you take um, an exam, a board exam by the CBMT, the Certification Board by Music Therapists. Once you pass that exam, you become a MTBC, Music Therapist Board Certified. So hopefully by next May, I'll have those four letters next to my name once my <laughs> internship and um, and uh, exam are completed. So that's kind of the process because I think a lot of people think like, oh, music therapy. Oh, so you just like go in there, like play your guitar. And it's like, well, I actually did have to like go to school for this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the process in which you do. A little more complicated than that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like, you know, I would love if I like, I mean, I love my college experience. Don't make it wrong, but it was hard. It's a hard major. And I was like, if I could have just like not done that, it would have made life easier but um but it really is important that we have all that training because like I said earlier there's just so many things that come up in music therapy like I would not be equipped to go into my internship where I'll be working with um terminally ill patients and um, patients in certain psychological distress if I hadn't had that experience already in my undergrad and I certainly wouldn't be able to do that in my professional life if I didn't have that experience in undergrad and in internship so that's why it's so so important because you know we have to provide the best to our clients that we can and that comes through experience and like you said if you don't know what you're doing right right yeah, it goes back to the whole, like, you know, not wanting to do any damage, mm -hmm. you know, and it's the same kind of, like, oath that doctors take, you know, like, to not cause any undue damage to patients. Right. And so, just, like, I know it's kind of, like, some people might be, like, why are you comparing, you know, that to that? But it's, like, the brain is, like, the most major part of the body besides the heart you know like those two like you kind of need both of those to function yeah mental and, health is just as important as physical health mm -hmm. yeah yeah and yeah. people don't realize that and like it's it can be kind of damaging because you know if you're not taking care of the mental health you can't really like it impacts the physical health too right like you know both of yeah. you know this but... yeah, we do. oh yeah yeah we do <laughs> It's, it's good to have some lived experience as a therapist. So like, I've been through <laughs> it. But, <laughs> but that's so true. Like, I really prescribe to the idea of health as being totally connected. Like, that mind-body connection, I think, our, our um, emotional, our spiritual, our physical health, all of those things are connected because they all make up who we are. And um, we can't just treat one part and not treat another part. And this really applies to any healthcare profession in general, but specifically with music therapy, I think of it as like, if I'm, if let's say I'm working with a baby in the NICU and like they're, they're like, they were premature and I'm trying to like get their heart rate to settle down. I'm going to play some like soft music. You know, I don't want to like overstimulate them, but I'm not just exactly no metallica um but i'm not just thinking about lowering their respiration rate i'm also thinking like are they starting to like make facial movements if if the parent is holding them are they making contact with the parent do they look like they're more soothed because those those physical and mental connections are always together and i think it's really important for therapists to always see that because it's never just one thing you're working on as i'm sure you both know in life there's never like just one thing you're working on to improve right it's always multiple things and they're usually connected
And uh, the nice thing about music is that it just kind of affects all of those things at one time, I think, um, which is what makes it so powerful and just like a really power ther powerful therapeutic me medium. Um, really just, I think, in general, creative arts therapies are like that. Like we, there are also um, art therapists, there are dance movement therapists, they are drama therapists and like music therapists, they're using that like creative medium in order to create a change. And um, I think it's just really cool to like see these different perspectives of health. Um, Cause personally as a, like as a therapist, I believe that health isn't like sick and not sick. There's, it's like a huge like continuum, you know, like, like my optimal functioning might not be your optimal functioning and that's okay. We all have like different ranges of what health might be. And um, I think with, in my um, vision for my future with music therapy, I just want to help clients to reach what they really think is their well-being. I'm very like what we like to call climate client-centered and humanistic, which is a theory that I believe all people are good um, and that they can, they're all capable of, have, of changing and um, that like that they are more than like a diagnosis or they're more than something horrible they did they they are a full person and um they deserve dignity and respect and um i provide the care that with dignity and respect that's actually really good i i, I know i haven't discussed this with you before but i've actually been to several therapists in the past and i'm absolutely against going to see them because i've had so many bad experiences and Emery could probably tell you some of them and, I, and part of it was because of that they just saw me as here's a list of what you are and that's how I'm going to treat you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And most of them weren't even fitting for you either. Like no, if I recall no. correctly, they, it was just like, they were just like kind of thrown on you and it was like, they weren't even accurate. No, like I wasn't even properly like evaluated. They're just like asking me a few questions and they're like, okay, you're, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. Um, you say you write novels? I said, yeah. Do you see the things in your head as you write them? Yeah. Delusional. Da -da 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 -da. And so, like, I haven't... I, I did... I have been officially diagnosed with depression, bipolar... I mean, wow, no. Um, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. I'm not bipolar. That was on the list. They said I was bipolar and schizophrenic and delusional. And I was like, from, like, five questions, you got all of that? <laughs> yeah i think our diagnosis system is really flawed the dsm the diagnostic statistical manual for diagnosing mental disorders in my humble opinion is a little effed up <laughs> like it doesn't really like encompass um first of all it doesn't encompass like various experiences of people with various diagnoses but also like people are i mean a diagnosis in some ways can be affirming but at the same time like yeah you're not delusional because you could write novels like um it's yeah. more than that like I, uh, and i think sometimes um professionals fail to see like the certain social contexts that people are in and how that influences their mental health like i was recently talking to another music therapist about an experience she had where um, she works at a psychiatric hospital and they had a black man come in diagnosed with schizophrenia because he was scared the police were going to kill him. 
and that's why they diagnosed him with schizophrenia. I know you're all making faces at me. Like <laughs> that seems like in this day and age, a perfectly valid fear, especially considering the history, but they diagnosed him with this um, mental uh, illness because he was exhibiting something that I think is a perfectly rational fear. So um, yeah. Yeah. That's just, I have so many issues with that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's sadly really common. Like, that's happened a lot, kind that's of sad. all in, um, like, the um, when, you know, insane asylums were a thing, it was mostly, like, women that were putting them for, like, mm-hmm. not obeying hysteria. her husband. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, hysteria. And now it's kind of become, like, schizophrenia has become the, like, black man's disease because people have been saying, oh, you're delusional, but, like, you're not really delusional. You're just living in a society. I'm on the that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're living in a society that is not moved past racism. And um, that's why I think, like, I always try to see my clients in their sociocultural context because all those things are important, like, in terms of their mental health and physical health. Yeah, that's really good that you point that out. Um, I think that some people, especially, like, not no offense, but like a lot of white therapists. I, 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 um, I, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. they kind of take it as like, like because the schooling and say so that, especially in the United States, like the schooling, it doesn't consider or put into like consideration the fact of how everyone's background, especially like culturally, mm-hmm. can change. You know, so many different things, like something that might be seen as really codependent in American culture is not codependent in like Asian culture, for example, mm-hmm. you know, like people are like, Oh yeah, you know, you're still, you're being so codependent because you still live with your parents or something, you know, something ridiculous like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, yeah. like families live together and it's not like, you know, it's just all dependent on like, what is the cultural background behind it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't know. It's just really weird for me because yeah. that's like one of the biggest ones too. Like being told that I'm codependent. I'm like, I mean, in certain ways, yes, I can see that, but other ways, that's not really accurate because that's just cultural. Right. Right. Oh, you and uh, it's funny that you and another one of my best friends still live at home because people give him a lot of a lot of crap about it. He's 33. And he still lives with his parents and he gets crap about it all the time. But the way I, the way I told him, there's a difference between living with your parents and living off your parents. He has a job and pays the bills. And pays the so he, he, it's fine. It's not like he's like living in their basement, living off them. It's different, totally different. Right, right. And I think we kind of sometimes have this like construct that in order to be successful, you have to be independent, but like, it's important to have a community. It's important to have your family. And those aren't necessarily harmful things. Like um, if someone is content living with their family for their whole life, and that's not only a cultural basing, but just something they need, like that's completely fine. I see, uh, I think there's like a big push for that a lot of um, able-bodied people put on disabled people to be independent when that doesn't necessarily have to be a goal. And independence doesn't necessarily mean oh, you live alone, like, that might not be possible for everyone, or they just may not want to, and, like, that's okay. Yeah, I feel like that's, it's so common, like, but, really? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I 
sorry. I, okay. Well, I think I was saying like it's <laughs> it's super common to like experience that kind of thing where it's like there's just such expectation from like yeah, as you said, like able-bodied people. They're like, mm-hmm. well, I can do this, so why can't you? Or like even if they put into consideration the fact that someone's disabled, they're just like, oh well, you know, if I had that situation or I was in that same situation, I still handled this just fine. It's like. Are you sure? Are you really sure about that? Right. You never know how you're going to react in a situation until you're in this situation. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think even then, you know, you react to a situation, it's going to be different from everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, just because, like, I react a certain way doesn't mean that if Michaela or you, Trevor, if either of you were in that same situation, that you'd react the same way. Like, there's no, it doesn't work that way because of, like, Partly because cultural upbringing, partly because of like current like existence of you know situations of like you know anything like different things. There's so many different factors that's going to change it, and also just yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> and then something that I just <laughs> that made me think of is uh, I'm actually going to use a Shrek reference. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, have either of you seen the the Christmas special? Oh yes. <laughs> okay, so you probably know what I'm going to say. So we all see Santa Claus as you know he's jolly. He's like the greatest person ever. We all love Santa Claus, but Gingy, the gingerbread man, he's terrified of him. In Gingy's culture, Santa Claus is like the boogeyman because Santa Claus eats the gingerbread man, and so that's a perfect example of like different cultures see the same thing completely different yeah that is such a good way to phrase it trevor i'm gonna use that in the future so don't worry i'll <laughs> cite you but i feel like by the way that was for my friend trevor but that is exactly it that is exactly it and i think um as a mental health professional it's also really important to think of my own positionality and my own privilege and what i may or may not be able to understand like i'm white I'm cisgendered, I'm able-bodied. Those are all things that work for me, right? There are certain things I'll never understand. And that's okay. It's not that, um, you know, we can never truly understand another person's experience anyway. We all live life differently. But I really think those are things that always have to be kept in our minds, just as people in general, but especially as therapists, because I need to realize that perhaps somebody doesn't feel comfortable with me because of what I look like, or perhaps somebody thinks I might have a certain opinion that I don't because of the identity I hold. Um, And it's really important to think of those things because they impact our clients. I just, sorry, I yawned. I just had this like, like remembering this story actually like similarly related, but not, but it's just like, like, the fact of, like, how, like, privilege does come into a huge part of who can get help, who can't get help, and the kind of help that they get. And, like, one of my friends recently was telling me an example of, like, for for them, they were like, yeah, um, you know, during, it was, like, around last year, like, when like they were having the protests for George Floyd, like that stuff. And um, like my friend was like, you noticed like 
she was with someone else, right? And the two of them were like, like, I know both of them, but like, I'm not going to say names at all because that's, you know, not fair. But like, so they walked, like they saw something was happening like that in like the downtown area of, um, of or like near the beach or whatever, because they were in like SoCal. I'm just going to say SoCal, right? And as they're down there, they're like, oh, what's going on? It's like, stop and check it out. And they're, they're fine. It's a protest. And so they like, you know what? Like, hey, can like one says to the other, like, can I check this out? And like, if you're uncomfortable with it after we just go see for a little bit, we can leave. I just want to see, like, experience what, you know, that kind of thing. And then as that's happening, um, like they decide they're like they're like, Oh yeah, there's like a ton of police here. And then um my friend was like saying how she's like, You notice that when we walk by, like, she's like, I noticed when I walked by those police, I did not fear for my life. And that right there is privilege. And I was like, thinking about it, because I'm like, have I ever been able to really walk past police without being anxious? Like, I, like, even though, like, you know, I'm very much white passing, I still have had, that, like, anxiety around that for some reason. I don't know why, other than, like, my father is very dark skinned. So he, you know, like, basically, like, he has been, like, profiled for that, you know, I think that kind of came off to me, that, like, because of the fact that he's like that, that, like, they might treat me the same way, or, like, or worse, you know, so it's just, it's kind of, like, mind-blowing to me that, like, there are situations like that where people are, like, what do you mean, like, that, like, it's not scary, and then I'm just, like, I don't know why it is, but it is, you know? Yeah, there's uh, a town like 30 miles from here, I think, Bethel, Ohio. Uh, you remember yeah. that being in <laughs> Yes. Okay, so during the protest, there was a, an issue that happened there where there were peaceful protesters. I knew somebody that was there. There were peaceful protesters there. They were just standing there holding the signs, and then the local residents came out with shotguns and sort of made a, made a scene. And then that made the news. Now, look how violent these protesters are. They caused a scene. And I, something that stuck out to me was there was this elderly, I'm, I don't know elderly, she was an older white lady. She goes, I've lived in Bethel my whole life and I've never had a problem with the police. And, and I'm, there's a reason for that lady. <laughs> right, right. Like, of course you haven't. I haven't. It's because I'm white. Like, there's, there's, um, and I think, it can be hard for all of us to not assume that our experiences are universal because it's like, I've experienced this, this is what I know to be true. So, um, you know, like I said, I try to see everyone in the best light as possible and remember that's probably where they're operating from. But I think like mental health professionals really need to like think about that because it's so important and so many patients have been dismissed because of oh like no like why are you scared to go to the psych hospital because there's a policeman with you like well because that's scary to certain people you know like that's gonna be terrifying and historically there hasn't been great things that have happened with mentally ill people and police so it's completely understandable that people would feel that way and to go back to what you're saying earlier Emery about how certain people are blocked from having care um, that's something that I really want to 
fix in music therapy because since music therapy is a national certification, which is great because that means I can practice in every state, but that isn't great because it means that I can't like bill insurance in in states and stuff like that. And like that, the whole healthcare system with insurance is just like a whole mess. But I won't go into that right now. But essentially what that means is that like only like the really privileged people can pay, that can pay for it end up with it are people only with a specific diagnosis that Medicaid, the Medicaid waiver gives them or you have to be in a nursing home or a hospital or something like that. Like it's not accessible. And in general, mental health care and just healthcare in general is not because of the system that we have. But that's something that is at least my personal goal because everyone should get care. But, you know, it is a hard thing to solve because, like, I need to eat too. <laughs> so, like, um, you know, <laughs> and that's why talking about music therapy is so important because the more people that know it, uh, know of it, the more people that recognize the value of it, the more it will exist, the more I'll get paid, the more clients I can serve. <laughs> So, um, you know, it's a systemic effect. Because capitalism. Because <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> I wish it wasn't this way, but, you know, sometimes we got to stick it to the man and just go with it, go with the system. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I'm you, have, you, you have a case of stick it to the man-itis? Sorry? You have a case of stick it to the man-itis? Yeah, I guess I do. I guess I do. I got some uh, money to pay off to a uh, college trivia. <laughs> some money to pay off? Just some? Just just some. <laughs> Doesn't some like it, it has a lot of zeros on it. But <laughs> it might have been a typo. <laughs> it might have been a typo. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I feel we've drifted really far from music therapy. But in any way, like that was a lot of things. I talked about a lot of things, but um, I'll kind of get to one more thing about music therapy um, so everyone can kind of understand what it might look like. So I kind of explained how it's shown in different settings, but um, there are four main uh, methods of music therapy that we use. Um, they're improvisation, which I mentioned before, which is like making up music on the spot. Um, composition, so writing a song. This could look like a different things. Like you could write a song from scratch. Maybe you just write the lyrics. Um, maybe you take an existing song and you change the lyrics, or you change the rhythm, or you change the instrumentals of the song. Rearrange uh, it. Yeah, rearrange it exactly, exactly. Um, there's also recreative method, which is um, kind of like doing a cover of a song. You know, like recreating music that already exists, whether instrumentally or vocally, a combination of the two. And um, then finally, the receptive method, which is all about listening to music. So this can kind of look like maybe leading someone through relaxation, like progressive muscle relaxation to some instrumental music or uh, discussing a song, like listening to a song and discussing it. And um, yeah, those are kind of the basic music experiences that we use um, in a session. And um, they're all usually end up being mixed in a multiple different things because session plans never work out how you do them, <laughs> how you <laughs> plan them. And that's totally okay. Uh, but those are the main things we, um, the w main ways we use music, if that makes any sense in terms of um, like what it might look like. Yeah, uh, earlier you said that uh, 
you had to choose your instrument, you chose your voice. And I noticed last week when we were in the car and we were listening, we were singing along to the Magic Dragons, I had to stop singing just to listen to you. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. Michaela is an amazing singer. Very amazing singer. Shucks, Actually, guys. hey, Michaela, what if I ended this by like, uh, Maybe you don't want to sing now, but like maybe you have like a recording I could tack onto the end of this. Yeah, I can do that. I can send you a recording okay. or something. I don't yeah, know, I'll put you on the spot. Like, sing something. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you want me to sing? Eva Marie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just text me later. Let me know what you want. I'll record something <laughs> and send it to you when it's not like 10 p.m. and I've been talking yeah. all day. <laughs> I was like, what? Look <laughs> at the time. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's a little different yeah I was like Emery it's like light outside it is still light outside as you can tell because I don't have the light oh well I didn't want it dark here as you can see yeah it's it's very dark here on the east coast so yeah oh okay so um figured we'd talk about random stuff no um i didn't mention in the in my last episode my last episode was the aliens area 51 episode and that happened i recorded that after everything happened last week and i still didn't bring it up and i was i figured because i knew i was gonna have this this episode of michaela and i figured i'd bring it up then and then you came so i was like hey i'll just this works out even better um i mentioned the fact that emory randomly surprised me I knew Michaela and I were going to hang out, and then all of a sudden, Emery shows up out of nowhere, <laughs> which was the greatest surprise ever. <laughs> My favorite part of that was the fact that, like, um, you tried to introduce me to your friends, and they're like, "Okay, and <laughs> <laughs> okay." Um, so, as I think I've addressed in the two episodes that Emery and I did together, it's at least, especially the My Best Friend episode. Well, first off, Emery's my best friend in the entire world ever, most important person. So, extremely special to me. And I've been telling, I've been talking about them for years. And so, if these people finally meet them, I'm like, it's Emery! And they're like, okay. And they're like, it's from San Francisco. I know. Emery's here! Like, yeah, I see that. <laughs> They also had no idea how big a deal it was for me to even be there in the first place, though. Like, I was absolutely terrified to go over there in the first place. Like, absolutely terrified. Because of, of Ohio? Well, not just Ohio, but, like, because it's, well, predominantly white. Oh. <laughs> and especially with my mask, I'm not as white-passing. You know, so like there was a lot more anxiety because I'm like, oh no, like what if something happens? So I was like, I need to make sure I'm not alone at any given point because you can't. Yeah, like we were always going to be with you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I told Emery that. I was like, your fears are totally valid, but yes, I will fight anyone for Emery. Well, I'd fight for Emery, anybody, but especially for Emery. <laughs> Emery, we won't let anything happen to you. <laughs> sure and it all worked out i'm just even surprised i was able to keep that a secret so oh i know I there was one point i'm pretty sure you came so close because i was telling emory no, about no, this. more than one point huh 
There was more than one point. Oh, um, one point that I that I thought I actually noticed it. Um, I was talking about uh, when hey, when you come, we should totally video call Emory, and you just sent a line of laughing emojis, and I'm like, hmm, why is that funny? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, haha, yeah. <laughs> Thumbs up. And so yeah, oh, and then Emery, whenever you whenever you surprised me at work, I, I messaged Michaela like a string of exclamation marks and and <laughs> like you know how hard it was to keep that a secret. I knew yeah. exactly what those exclamation marks meant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but like like, I'm the one who screwed up and, like, kind of gave it away, but it was only because I was, like, if I don't respond to any messages when I get there or, like, on that day, then I knew Trevor would be, like, suspicious and kind of, like, anxious, you know? But if I said that I was going to a wedding, then around the same time, Trevor would be suspicious, but at least there wouldn't be anxiety. Yeah, that was... Uh, I. But what's funny is I suspected something because of the cover. If you had just not responded, I would probably would have been like, oh, Emory's busy. And probably not really thought much of it. But then, like, you said, oh, I'm going on a wedding that same day to uh, I'll be on a plane. Uh, and I'll, as soon as you said that, I'm like, hmm, same weekend. That's a little suspicious. <laughs> and that's why, like, um, I was in the office at work. And Mike and Emory, like, I heard Mike calling my name because he was supposed to come and give me a ride. And I heard Mike calling my name, and I went out there, and we're standing next to him. And it took me a second, and I literally went, I knew it! <laughs> I was very disappointed, because it was not as exciting. Yeah, if, you hadn't, if you hadn't mentioned the wedding, if you hadn't said anything about that, just been like, I would, I'll be busy today, uh, I wouldn't have thought anything. I would have been completely surprised. I know, I failed. <laughs> it's okay. Failed! <laughs> I mean, every night we're also talking about, like, we don't know who said what, so how are we to know if it was a secret or not? Yeah, and, like, we were going to wait till Monday to surprise you, too. Yeah, the whenever we met up at Frisch's. Yeah, that's the day we were going to surprise you. I'm glad you did then, because then, yeah, that's that extra time together. And now I have memories of you at work. Now, like, work's not as depressing now. Because, like, I was like, Emory's been here. This isn't too bad. (laughs) It was pretty sad. Yeah. That's UDF. Like I told you, UDF is an experience. Um, I think you should get a cardboard cutout of Emory and, like, set it up. Not a good experience. No, please don't. What what did you say? Um, I said you should get a cardboard cutout of Emory and just, like, set it up in the store so you can look at it every now and then. Yeah. That would be super creepy. Um, please don't. Well, um, so on my drive back um, a few days ago, back to Maryland from Ohio, I uh, I stopped at a gas station that had a cardboard cutout of Trump next to an ATM. So, um, and you're definitely better. So I think it's okay. To put yeah. And in a UDF. Emory <laughs> is definitely better. Oh, well. Everyone's better than Trump, but um, I feel like that's not a very high bar. Yeah, the bar yeah. is like down here. Like you have to dig to get to that bar. It's like six feet under, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, is there no, anything else? I'm pretty sure it's eight feet under. Eight, eight feet. I got six feet, but you know, just kind of had to. 
I really jump on it. <laughs> Just get it in there. <laughs> Are there any other questions I can answer for you? Any more about music therapy or anything, really? I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah not, like I was saying, like, um, I was going to come up with questions, but I... I tried to look, I looked into it a little bit because I wanted to find, I wanted to learn about it from you, mm-hmm. but I didn't you know. So I didn't want to look too much into it because then I'd be like, I know this, I know this, I know this. <laughs> so yeah. like, I don't, I didn't even know where to begin with the question. Mm-hmm. So I'll just, that's why I was like, let's let you talk, tell, talk, tell everything. I was going to start, I was going to let us do the whole bantering thing first and then get into it. But then I was like, I kind of jumped right into it. Like, so, Michaela, tell us why you're here. <laughs> and I was like, oh, now I feel like I'm like, I'm in therapy. I'm like, oh, I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> that, that's a big existential question. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> why are you here? No, on the podcast. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and I was like having a moment. I was like, why am I here? <laughs> but, such a mood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But a pretty basic resource that anybody can check out, I'll spell it out for our viewers slash listeners, is uh, musictherapy.org. And that is the uh, website of the American Music Therapy Association. And it has like all the information, like basic information about music therapy, like what it is, what it looks like, jobs, um, how you become one all that paperwork about like ethics and stuff like that. That's really important, but a lot to read. Don't worry. I've read it. But like, yeah. <laughs> I gotta skim through it. <laughs> I'm ethical. I promise. <laughs> no, it's, it's like the terms and conditions. and <laughs> <laughs> No one's read that. Right. <laughs> okay. So, but if you read some of them, they're hilarious. They are. They are. I hear that they put, they put jokes in there just to, just to prove no one reads them. Mm-hmm. They do sometimes. I know. Depending like, on the organization. But I don't uh, want to read through them to find them. <laughs> exactly. Like, there could be a clause in there saying, like, you will sell your soul. And I'd be like, I, because I, I don't read them. <laughs> I'm just like, yes, I belong to Google now. <laughs> the list of my sins are like lied about terms and conditions <laughs> on, like 300 <laughs> times in her life. <laughs> you don't want South Park, do you? I I did when I was a kid, but I don't remember it. There was an episode. I think it was Kyle. I I, I haven't watched it in forever. There was an episode. I think it was Kyle. He he didn't read the terms and conditions for an apple for apple. And then the joke in the show is that everybody reads it, and he's the one person that doesn't. And so they put him in like a human centipede because that's in there. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Kind of for a little bit, it started to scare me into reading them. I was like skim through them for a little bit until I realized it was just a bunch of legalese. I, I know. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know what these words mean. Like, what's the point? But anyway, musictherapy.org, and then you can always like, you know, contact me. Um, you can email me at Michaela M I C H A E L A Miller M I L L E R. 2021 at gmail.com so (laughs) (laughs) i i sing all the time clearly so i know know, yeah i noticed that about you it was was awesome it was nice hearing you sing (gasps) (laughs) oh thanks that was just my car voice but (laughs) no you were singing when we were (laughs) out of context and we were petting the goats and cows you were singing too (laughs) 
I don't even remember that. Like, I sing so much. I cannot. You were like singing to them, like when you were talking to them. Oh, I was. I remember this. I was like, here, take your food, please. Like, (laughs) making something up. And even though you were just playing around, it still sounded nice. (laughs) So imagine how you sound when you really, like, you're like at a performance. Man, I found out after that trip that I'm allergic to goats. After I got home, I had hives everywhere. and I was They were like, licking you all over your hands and I arms. didn't know I was allergic to goats. Yeah, it was a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, mm. Emery and I were driving home from um, from Milford, and like they were like, oh my gosh, your arms. I was like, I know, this is so bad. <laughs> uh, oh, that sucks. I didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, that was okay. I, I mean, I still would have so pet the goats if I knew that, because goats. The only difference is you would have taken a Benadryl. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <True. laughs> I live my life on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> I like to live dangerously. Yeah, I, li- I like to live dead. and goat. You know, I take enough drugs. I don't need any more. <laughs> <laughs> all legal ones, I promise, for the sake of this. All legal. 100%. I was going to say, like, you might want to put something in there. Like, it's like, just a joke. <laughs> all prescribed to me by a doctor. <laughs> How many are you at? No, no you like, don't answer that out loud. <laughs> no, uh... don't. Let's start with you first, if we're gonna go down that road. I know, right? <laughs> hey, hey, I'm down from what I was before. So, you know, progress. Oh, progress. Um, Emery and I were talking about uh, the other day. Um, they're actually, um, Emery is, a, is like a magician or a miracle worker or something. Okay, so I used to have really high blood pressure. Like, I needed to take these. Oh, yeah. two or three times a day because it would be like both numbers would be in the hundreds and uh in 2019 when i took my trip to san francisco to so we spent a week together i ran out of the pills i had and i'm like oh no we were both like oh no and like i think emory was more freaked out than i was i was like oh crap and emory was like you need to get that fixed (laughs) so when i got back i told the doctor like hey i ran out of this so like they took my blood pressure and it was fine and he was like, hmm, we're going to keep an eye on that. It's been two years, and I haven't needed it since. Emery cured my high blood pressure. They're a miracle worker. What can we say? Right? <laughs> I'm just kind of here. <laughs> <laughs> we're all here. That's <laughs> Don't answer the existential question. <laughs> Put on my therapist voice. We are here, and that is enough. That reminds me of a song. Okay, no, I'm not gonna start saying. <laughs> I'll send you a thing. <laughs> okay, is there anything else you want to know? Oh, well, I was. One thing I was gonna say at the end of the episode was, do you have anywhere to send people? But you already gave the website and your email address, so you answered that. You already answered my one question. I can just read minds. Emily's in... Why do I say Emily? Emery. Emily? I know your name. I swear to God. Emery. Because <laughs> I have a friend named Emily and I just... ADHD brain, you know. So Emery is <laughs> a miracle worker and I can read your mind. So clearly. JK, I can't read minds. I wish. <laughs> yeah. So uh, speaking of getting names wrong, you notice how, like, I kept not saying your name? 
yeah. when we were yeah because for some reason i kept wanting to call you melissa it's okay <laughs> i was like so um yeah we were uh we were petting the goats <laughs> you can just say hey you. i mean to be fair like in my phone neither of you are by your names Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say what Michaela's is because, you know, I don't want to, like, just in case. Um, but you are a wild Marf. <laughs> oh, yeah, wild Marf appears. <laughs> yep. Uh, I don't want to tell you what you are in my phone. Your legal name. <laughs> Don't cheer me like that. I sent you screenshots. You know what your name is on my phone. I wasn't sure if you changed it or something. (laughs) That look Emery just gave you is like the look they give when they're about to hit you with chopsticks. Like, that was was the same look. No, no, Michaela, we call that angry Asian mom look. (laughs) Blair's an angry Asian mom. (laughs) Yes, I can feel, like, sometimes we'll just be messaging and I'll say something stupid and I'll be like, I can feel that stare from across the country, and we're gonna be like, "Good." <laughs> really, though, it it can be felt from across the country. <laughs> it's been many times, many, many times. <laughs> I can even just hear it on the phone. Like, I may be like, "Yeah, we're not gonna do that." I'm like, "Oh, oh no, they're staring at me." <laughs> I love how you guys like know me so well at this point. That is yes. the whole thing. Like, even if you can't see me, you still feel it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I even like think of it like randomly if I'm like, oh, I forgot to eat lunch today. I'm like, Emery somehow knows and is somehow glaring at me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay. That's exactly. That's um. Okay. So there was a thing the other day. Like I I, um. I remember how there was an issue at the dairy place because I said I'm allergic to peanuts. Well, I wasn't always allergic to peanuts. Emery probably knows what I'm going to say. Okay. So. 2007, I randomly broke out hives. They said, you're allergic to peanuts. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I know by now. Because growing up, I, I ate so much peanut butter, I think I had more peanut butter in me than blood. And then I broke out in hives, and suddenly I'm allergic to peanuts. The doctor then said, every seven years, your allergies change. And I, oh, okay. Seven years later, 2014, I took a chance and I ate some peanuts. And my throat and tongue just went all tingly, like no hives. But then I, I, if I eat too much, I like, fall asleep and it's like really uncomfortable. It's been seven years. So the uh, about a week ago, maybe not a week ago. When was it, Emery? <laughs> two days remember. ago. Yeah, it was like two or three days ago. I was making cones at work and one of the cones has peanuts on it. And so, uh, you know, I dip it into chocolate and I'm pouring the peanuts on it. And it was falling into the bowl. And afterwards, I sent a picture to Emery and Mike, and I'm like, I'm going to test to see if I'm still allergic. And Emery was like, you will not! Like, but by then, I'd already eaten it, and nothing had happened. Like, an hour later, like, nothing had happened. And so, I was like, maybe I'm not allergic anymore. So, we have this, speci- this new uh, special edition Reese cup. It's called Ultimate Peanut Butter Lovers. Nothing but peanut butter. It's just peanut butter Reese cup. And I sent a picture to the group chat with Mike and Emery, and I'm like, I'm going to buy one, but only if Emery approves. Emery did not approve, so I didn't buy it. And then my coworker was like, just buy it. They're not going to know. I'm like, and I just laughed. He just gave me a weird look. And it's like, I, 
you will you know. hide it from me. Okay, so Michaela, like ten years ago, I did, I, I did try to lie to Emery once, but I couldn't. I like literally, I, I, like an hour later, I went back and I'm like, I'm sorry. Here's the truth, and I, I can't lie to her. I, I can't lie to Emery. I can't keep anything from you. I like even things that like it doesn't even matter. Like I'll tell you like, like random things or whatever. But, like, I'll randomly send you, like, a picture of my receipt. Like, look at what I bought. Like, all the food I bought. <laughs> like, why do you need to know that? I don't know. <laughs> because apparently I need to know everything. Yes. And, um... Okay, so, something... Okay, you always... You always kind of make fun of me for being cheesy. And I think you're muted right now. Oh, Okay. <laughs> so uh there was something that you know later daniel was asking me why did you know you don't have to tell emory everything just go ahead and buy the, the peanut butter cup if you want it and i i said something that made him roll his eyes so hard i could hear it i said no because i respect emory even when she's not looking and he's just like yeah that's when he rolled his eyes Yeah, it's true though. You can't you can't lie to Emery because they'll find out somewhere somehow. It's like that that TikTok yep. sound like they're gonna know. They're gonna know. That's exactly what it is. Like yes. they're gonna know. <laughs> like like there'll be times there'll be times where like sometimes like I do something stupid or I'm having a really depressed night and all of a sudden what's wrong? How did how did you do that? Just randomly messaged me. What's wrong? Yep. <laughs> I said that to someone else who, like, I haven't even spoken with very long so at this point. But like, they're like, how did you do that? I'm like, it was obvious. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how Emery does it, especially because, as you've probably noticed, Trevor, I'm pretty bad at maintaining contact with people because when yeah. I am busy with things, I'm like hyper focused on that one thing so i just forget to talk to people i yeah. care about so many people i just like my brain is like it's it's like a it's like a like an arcade up in here you know it's like that pinball game and it's just like the balls are constantly bouncing around and i just can't keep track of it but emery will like whenever they randomly text me or call me it's like always like when i would need to talk to them <laughs> like how that happens all the time you know this <laughs> so literally if like just message me first like emery knows this like i just forget <laughs> so, and if yeah, i don't respond I, the first time do it multiple times and then i'll eventually see, get it <laughs> well i emery introduced us like two years ago over two years ago like maybe two and a half years oh, ago yeah. i know <laughs> and like oh i was telling emery i was looking through like i forgot about this until like i was actually looking at old messages like trying to find something else recently and I saw where uh, I, I told I told Emery like I don't think you and I are going to stay friends because it feels like I'm just forcing a friendship that's not meant to be or whatever. But then now looking back, I see you were busy, and then now this is like that's why I sent that message to you. I'm like like apologizing for being a bad friend, and I was like like can this just be like a let's start over moment? And, like, we've been staying in contact for, like, the last month now. So, it's, like, yeah. all I it needed was... I told you, too. I literally told you that's not... I know. If it was not you, 
Or you Michaela, know. it's just Michaela's doing too much to like be able to focus on anything else. You know <laughs> how my always anxiety right. is. You know how my anxiety is. <laughs> yeah. Like I, okay, yeah. so like, so Michaela, is there like Emery and I have discussed this many times. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing I should know as an absolute, undeniable, unmovable fact is that Emery is my best friend and loves me and everything, but my anxiety keeps telling me otherwise. And I, and they keep having to reaffirm me that it's that my anxiety is lying. And I'm like, I know there's, a, I could tell the difference. There's reality. I see the reality that my anxiety is over here saying, Oh, well, no, this is the reality. And I'm like, away from me, Satan. <laughs> so like, I can see both sides, but like, sometimes the anxiety is louder than the reality. Yeah. <laughs> That's when you need to go, hey, anxiety, are you calling my best friend a liar? <laughs> you know Man. what? I, you know what I do? I pretend the anxious voice in my head is like Donald Trump. So whenever I think something really bad, I'm like, shut up, you moldy carrot. And then suddenly <gasps> I feel fine with my life. <laughs> Just try that. <laughs> yeah. What I usually do is like I think of it as like a twelve year old troll on the internet. You know, like, it's like, shut up, you're like 12. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, wow. I had a 12-year-old tell me that I was a worthless human being because I didn't know how to play Crash Bandicoot. So, that's the anxiety voice. (laughs) Kids, kids are mean, man. Yeah. Michaela, later I'll tell you why I stopped playing games online. Okay. I don't want to say it on the podcast. Now I'm going to have to at some point, but uh, for now. <laughs> it's okay. It'll be like a subscribe for more. <laughs> what kind of thing? Follow me on Patreon. <laughs> Follow me on Patreon. I have a Patreon, but... Uh, how long have we been recording? I think it's time we wrap up. Yeah, it's been I, a while. I know it's gone on a lot longer than I intended. I thought it was... I was hoping at least 45 minutes. But, like, it's still fun talking with you. It's just... <laughs> I warned you, I can talk to a wall, and you pick, like, the I know, thing I'm the most I, passionate about, so... Mm-hmm. Info dump. One, <laughs> one thing I told Emery after we were hanging out is, is like, even up until the moment we, we actually met in person last Monday, I'm still kind of like, is it going to work, though? And then we actually hung out, and I realized we have more in common than I ever thought. And you're, like, an awesome friend. Thank you. Thank you. And, like, anytime, like, you want to talk to me and I'm not responding, literally just, just spam me, and I'll, I'll eventually answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. At a certain yeah. point, like, sometimes I would just literally spend the word spam. Yeah. Do you remember that? Like, yes, spam. I do. Spam, spam, spam. They used that to call me. me. They, they would call me and like leave a voicemail and it would say, you're a butt. <laughs> I still literally have one of those that you left for me. Yes, yes. Oh, Michaela, um, after we're done here, you need to call my phone and let it go to voicemail. Okay. Just. Okay. <laughs> Will do. You'll see. You'll see. <laughs> All right, well. We should probably get going, you yeah, know. Yeah, for sure. Lovely having this conversation. It was yeah, so much it was fun. Yeah, super fun. Yeah. <laughs>
Thanks okay, for bye. inviting me on it. Bye. Bye. Okay, so for those curious, this is my voice message. If somebody calls me and it goes to voicemail, this is what they hear. Hello, this is Trevor. Only it's not. This is Emery. If you're trying to reach Trevor, please leave a message after the beep so I may learn all your secrets. <laughs> to conclude today's podcast, I wanted to sing for you a short chant called The Ocean Refuses No River by Lila Flood. The ocean refuses no river, no river. The ocean refuses no river, no river. I am here and you are here, we are here. I am here and you are here, we are here. The ocean refuses no river, no river. The ocean refuses no river, no river. I am here and you are here, we are here. I am here and you are here, we are here. I am here and you I'm so glad you could all be with us here today, friends. Have a lovely day.